The book of Haggai. Now I've heard Haggai pronounced a multitude of ways. Haggai, 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 all kinds of ways. With Hebrew names, you add a little bit of phlegm. It sounds more real, so I don't know. But nevertheless, I know this. We're going to look at Haggai tonight. been praying for a little while now, and by a little while, I mean quite some time, about what to do a uh, next direction. And the Lord has been revealing Himself to us as we've been seeing His attributes on sunny mornings. And now we're coming to a season, not where we've run out of attributes or anything like that whatsoever. We could keep talking about God every single service. We'd never run out of anything to talk about or to praise Him for or to preach about. That's who God is. Matter of fact, this Bible is not about preaching about characters. It's not about preaching about even men like Haggai or even Israel or even the church. It is about preaching Christ and Him crucified. Every passage is leading us to something far greater than those who are mentioned. It is leading us to the Lord Himself. It is revealing Himself to us through His Word. So we want to praise Him for that. But we're coming into a special time and a special season. I believe firmly and absolutely that we are in a special time in the life of the church. But we are also in a very critical time in the life of our church here at Victory Way. I don't want that to alarm you or to sound scary, but rather as an opportunity for God to do His greatest work. I, I see much of us who we talk about revival, we talk about a need of God, we talk about a need for this or a need for that. Ultimately, what we've got to see is our great dependence upon God. We need a real revival, not merely just revival meetings. We hear about revivals happening in other parts of the world, even parts of our own nation, whether it's local or in other states. And we often either question whether it's real, whether it's genuine, or we defend it at all costs because we want it to be genuine, we want it to be real. And here's what I understand is this, that revival and real revival ignites a reverence for the Word, the worship, and the work of God. Tonight, that's what we need. That's what we need in the coming weeks ahead. And as we're preparing our hearts, and I hope that you are preparing your hearts, you won't receive revival come revival week when we have at the end of the month if you're not prepared. As a matter of fact, you won't receive anything in a church service if you are not here wholeheartedly, your whole body, your whole mind, your whole soul, here to hear the Word of God. You can be in one place and your mind and heart be in another altogether. And to do that is to merely go through the motions. You will miss everything that God has to say to you. Not what I have to say to you, right? I've got nothing that can change your life anyways. It's the Lord Himself. We need the Word of God. And the Word of God leads us to the worship of God. And the worship of God leads us to the work of God. Here's what we think. We think that revival just stirs up excitement. Excitement is nice, but excitement is not the answer. We don't need more excitement. We don't need more emotionalism. What we need is to be changed by the truth of God's Word. It ought to lead us then to worship the Lord all the more, day and night, with every part of our life, giving Him glory, giving Him honor, giving Him praise. And what that will lead us naturally to do, the more that we worship God, the more we will work for God. But here's the thing. You and I often do the work of God in our flesh, which is to not worship God. And so when we're doing a work and we say it's for God, but it's not for His glory, it's not really for God after all, is it? And so here's what happens. We come to times of revival meetings. We come to times of special events in churches, whether it's VBS or whether it's a weekly ministry. Regardless, you take your pick of whatever it is, and we can do it without God. We can do it where it's not for God. And then altogether, we feel as if we've done something. We feel as if we're busy for the Lord, and yet God is not being truly worshipped, and we're missing the Word altogether. This is not the plan that God has for His people. Tonight in Haggai, I want to read in chapter 1, verse 1 through 5 tonight. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatile, 
governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. What we need now more than ever is to return to a reverence of God. A reverence of the things of God. We'll know that there's a real revival taking place in our life, in our church, and in our community because we will revere the Word of God. We will revere the worship of God. We'll take it serious. We'll take it to heart. It'll mean what it should mean. We will revere the work of God. And here's the issue is that most of us, how many of you brought a, a Bible with you tonight? Whether it's on a phone, tablet, a paper copy, right? You've got a Bible right in front of you. Praise God for that. You know how many don't in the world today? Countless. Many of us have Bibles that are hardly marked up, hardly read, hardly prayed over, hardly understood, and to be frank, hardly unconcerned with. And we wonder why we do not have revival. We wonder why we worship God half-heartedly in a church service. We think that worship is dedicated to only services of which we're singing two or more songs. That's not the case. You know what a Wednesday night Bible study prayer meeting is? It's a worship service. You know what Sunday school is? It is a worship service. You know what our worship service is that we call worship service? It's a worship service. How about Sunday evening? How about come Monday night in your home after you've watched Wheel of Fortune? It can be a time of worship with the Lord. There is never a time in our life that should not be for the worship of God. But the reason why we don't view it that way is because we no longer revere God for who He is. As we have looked over the past, I believe, ten weeks looking at who God is, responding to His revealing, we have seen that God is all these different things. And here's the issue. We can come to a place where now after ten weeks we can say, wow, we learned a lot about the attributes of God. Well, that's wonderful. But if it did not apply to your heart, if it did nothing to change you, if it did not cause you to worship God all the more, then it did nothing. It was in vain. It was worthless. When we look at the Word of God and if it does not lead us to the worship of God and lead us to do the work of God, then we have missed the boat entirely. What has happened to the church in America is that we have grown comfortable, and comfort is a killer. Comfort is the idol of the uncontented heart. For those who are not content with the Lord, they would just want to be content with themselves. We're always looking for comfort, and we look for comfort in the wrong places, the wrong things. The progression goes like this today, we are comfortable. Tomorrow, we'll become careless. And soon after, we will be carried away into exile and spiritual drought. The people of Judah, the people of Israel in Haggai's time had done just that. As a matter of fact, previous years beforehand, and we'll get into the context of this passage here in just a moment as we look at verse 1, we're going to see here that all of this, that revival is needed to make us uncomfortable so that we will become conformable. Revival is meant to conform us to be more like Christ. Day by day, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Day by day, we are told that the Spirit of God is continuously seeking to do a work in us, through us, and even for us to change us to be more in the image of Christ, to let His light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify God who is in heaven. They would not glorify us. They would not know us. They would not even want to, to know who we are or even our name, but they would want to know the name of Christ. Where is our reverence? Where is our reverence for the Word? 
Where is our reverence for the worship of God? Where is our reverence for the work of God? Now here at this point in verse number 1, we find this is the second year of Darius the king. The sixth month, the first day of the month. Now notice this. Normally when we come to the prophets, when we come to Old Testament church, uh, to, excuse me, Old Testament history, you know what we typically find at the very beginning of chapters of books? When it talks about dates, it gives a date and time being the reign of the king of either Israel or Judah during the divided kingdom. Why is that? That was God's people. Here, God in the Old Testament, especially if you read Kings and Chronicles, you see over and over again this time where in the year such and such, such and such became king, and he was a good king, or he was a bad king. And most of the time, he was a bad king, and he did that which was right in his own eyes. He did that which was wrong before the Lord. He did evil continually, countless things like that. But here in Haggai, we're not presented with that. You know why? Because there's no king in Israel. There's no king in Judah at this time. They had been in exile for decades. They had been in exile because of their own sinfulness. And I would say today, if the church in America could be represented by any word, it would be that of exile. We have exiled ourselves from the Lord. We have gone away from the simplicity of faith. We have complicated the church. We have made a mockery of worship. We have made a mockery of the Word of God because we're filthy with the knowledge of it, yet we have little power of it. That we are filthy with the knowledge and accessibility to the Word of God, and yet our lives are, are not changed by it. We're more changed by what's popular on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, or what's popular on the news than we are the most relevant piece of literature that there is, and that is God's breathed out words on paper. There was no king. However, the great truth is that one is coming, and his name is Jesus. He is not just going to be a king of Israel or a king to Israel. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and there will be none like him. You and I know this theologically, yet in our life, it doesn't work out that way practically. Here in verse number 1, to help give us the context of everything, as you read through verse 1, you get several names mentioned, some longer names, some tougher names. You get some dates, but here to kind of bring us up to speed, the remnant at this point of Judah has returned in part from exile under the Persian Empire. In 538 B.C., Cyrus, king of Persia, allowed for the exiled Jews to return. Hold your place here in Haggai and turn backwards about that far. About a quarter of an inch in your Bible. I don't know how far that is. <laughs> But you turn back there to Ezra, and here's what you find. In Ezra chapter 1, verse number 1 says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, this was a previous king, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom and put it also into writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. In case you're wondering, Cyrus is not a Christian. Cyrus is not a Jew. God is using Cyrus to bring back God's people to do God's work. To get back to the place where they can worship God at God's house. In verse 3, Who is there among you of all His people? His God be with Him. Let Him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God. Notice that in parentheses. He is the God. There's not another. There's none close. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital then. It's the capital now. It will continue to be the capital. It is where Christ will return physically, literally, and rule and reign. 
It was the place where God was to dwell with His people, and one day that day is coming. But in a greater Jerusalem, a new city, a heavenly city, and whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold and with, with goods and with beasts, besides the free will offering of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Here what we find is that God was allowing His people to go back in 538 B.C. to go back and to do what? To build the house of God, to worship God as they were meant to. It was for their good and for God's glory. It is where God's glory would come and to dwell for the good of His people. Where God's presence is, that is the greatest place on the face of the earth. There is no greater place than to be in the presence of God. That is where God is to be worshipped. It is where God's Word is to be proclaimed. It is where the work of God begins and ends in His presence. But then in 536 B.C., merely two years later, here's what happens. The remnant in Judah and Jerusalem begin reconstructing the temple being led by Zerubbabel, who we read about in verse number 1. Praise God! If the story in it there, that'd be wonderful. However, it doesn't. But some things to note, Zerubbabel's lineage goes to someone very important. His lineage on both, as you read in Matthew and in Luke, both Mary and Joseph, we don't need, even need Joseph's side of the lineage, but we've got it for, for good reason. What it shows is that there's grafted one. His name is Jesus Christ, who the lineage of Zerubbabel would come. Zerubbabel, here's what you need to know about him. He is the rightful descendant at this time of the kings of Judah. He is their political leader. Then we have Joshua mentioned here in verse number 1 as well. His name, of course, is of importance. Joshua, not the Joshua that Moses had, but this is another Joshua. But that very name Joshua is short for Jehovah or Yahweh is salvation or saves. Ultimately, there's going to be one whose name will be Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He is going to be the high priest that we find here in chapter 1, verse 1 of Haggai. Why is that important? Because we find that Judah and the remnant here in Judah that had come back and made the return to Jerusalem. They had political leadership that was the rightful heir to the throne. And we have spiritual leadership, even that of a high priest. And yet we find perhaps the worst spiritual state that they had been in in quite some time. You say, well, we don't find anything about Baal being worshipped. We don't find them chucking their babies in the fire or sacrificing themselves. How could they be in such spiritual shape? What do you mean they were in bad spiritual shape? They were in bad spiritual shape and here's why. Not because they had some sort of overt idolatry and false gods all around them, but because they had grown apathetic to the God of heaven. To grow apathetic and uncaring to the God of heaven who has delivered us time and time again shows us our great need of revival. When we grow accustomed to God and to His work and our life, that is how we know that we're in need of revival. When the miracles of God and the daily provision of God no longer impact us, when the Word of God is opened and preached, when the Word of God is opened and read by individuals and it does not change us, that's how you know we're in need of revival. Not just any old revival, but a revival of the reverence of God, of who He is, of His very Word, of the very worship of God, of the very work of God. The temple reconstruction, however, after it had begun, nearly as soon as it had begun, ended. Boyce writes, Gone was the glory of the former kingdom and temple. Gone was the great population. All that was left was the rubble of Jerusalem, the remnant of the people, and the task of restoration. To many folks who have gone through a church split or a hard time in a church, a transition in a church, there are many who look back and go, oh, well, this will never be the former glory. 
There are many who go, oh, well, this isn't what it used to be two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago. Back in my day, the church used to look like, that's wonderful what it used to look like, but what is God doing today? We don't need what God did yesteryear. We need what God is doing today because what God is doing today is just as fine with me because what God did yesterday doesn't affect me today near as much as what He's doing right now. We need what God is doing today. We need to trust in what God is doing today. As a matter of fact, you say, what is God doing today? I believe that God is restoring. God has always been in the business of restoring, reconciling, redeeming, reviving His people. He's done it from the very first sinners in the Garden of Eden and He'll do it to the very last until the world is over. Haggai 1.1 here begins 14 years after the reconstruction had begun and ended. You want to talk about a long time without change. You want to talk a long time without growth. You want to talk a long time of being spiritually stagnant. 14 years is a long time. Any of you ever been spiritually stagnant before? How about a month? That's a long time. A year. Anyone been backslidden five years? Ten years? Here we got 14. May as well be a lifetime. It's a generation. If you and I look at most conservative churches in America today, and let's just not even look at America today, let's look at Carroll County today, and what you'll find is well, we've got a whole generation at least gone. We've got a generation that at one point in time had started to build, had started to see God move, and then got themselves in the way, and the building ceased. Decline began, and for many, decay has set in. Did you guys catch the other week when Brother Manny was here and presenting? And I believe that you did, by the way, by the response of what you gave this past Sunday. In another week or so, I'll tell you all that's come in. You don't need to know yet. You know what Brother Manny said? 40% of his churches could no longer support him because they don't have the money. Let me ask you all this. Let's do a simple question here. Are we a mega church? No. Are we an incredibly wealthy church full of the richest of the rich? Y'all laughed at that. What'd you laugh at that for? <laughs> I see name brand clothes out there, right? Goodwill, that's right. We got it from the rich people. That, <laughs> But you know what? You gave. God's not looking for the rich of the rich. He's looking for those who are willing to be a part of what He's doing. But what we find is that it does not take the rich of the rich. It takes the ordinary means of simply being available to God. God will rebuild that. God will bless that. God will redeem that. God's at work in that. But what I noticed is when he said this is that that means that 40% of the churches that support him are no longer able to even support themselves. You can't support a missionary, you can't support yourself. It does not matter how much we have in a savings account. Vehicle fund, this fund, that fund. Every fund at the end of the day does not matter. But I'll tell you this. What I was reminded of that day in that moment is while we, not, while we may not be the richest, God has had His hand upon this place. If God had taken His hand from this place, it would not have made it 40 years as it has. 
If God had removed His hand from this place, we wouldn't be here tonight, would we? Many of you would not be here tonight. God's hand is on this place, not because of a particular man or a particular family, and it's not because a particular man or family gives or attends or helps. It's because God cares for His people deeply. God cares for the revival of His people. There are churches hurting all around us. There are people that are dying and going to hell. They need a revived and alive church. They don't need an apathetic church. They don't need a cold church that can take a, a cup of milk from the back door and turn into ice cream by, it get, by the time it gets to the front. They need a live church. A church full of life. A church that wants the glory of God alone. Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi, they preached to the remnant after the exile. All the other prophets were beforehand prophesying what was to come. These men were used even around the same time. God was not just using Haggai here, but even Zechariah at the same time to preach the same message. Seek the Lord. Build the temple. Know the presence of God. Be revived by a reverence of God's Word. The worship of God. The work of God. I would tell you tonight, God's mercy is ready for revival, are you? His mercy is ever ready for revival. But we must be. Here in verse 1, we find the first portion that tells us that then came the Word of the Lord. That's always a wonderful thing because God's not done when He continues to speak. When God speaks, He breaks the silence of suffering. He breaks the silence of the drought. And out of His words come fresh bread, manna from heaven, living water for the thirsty soul. Second thing we're going to see tonight is the cause of revival. Verse 1 and 2. Y'all still got time? I, I got plenty. <laughs> Verse 1 and 2 tonight, we need to look at this. You want to know what the cause of revival is? It's not Haggai. It's not Zechariah. It's God. It begins with the word of the Lord in verse number 1. You take the word of the Lord out of the equation, there will never be a revival. You take the word of God out of the pulpit and out of the hearts of the people, there will never be a revival. If you need revival tonight, and most of us do, it's not going to come outside of the, the word of God. We need the Bible. We need the Bible preached. We need the Bible taught. We need the Bible learned. We need the Bible both taught and caught. It needs to be lived. It needs to be even breathed. It needs to be on every part of our life. We have generations dying, not for a lack of food and water, but for a lack of the Word of God. We are watching the prophecy come to fruition where there is a famine in the land today. There is a famine of Bible preaching. There is a famine of Bible teaching. There is a famine of those who hear Bible teaching and preaching going home and reading the Bible themselves and living it out in obedience by faith. Nothing matters more in the life of the Christian than the Bible because the Bible is how we know God. It is how we know how to live for God. It is how we know what God has done for us. You take the Bible out, there is no life, let alone a reviving of life. Nothing is more authoritative than the Word of God. No, nothing is more applicable than the Word of the Lord. And here, Haggai doesn't come and say, hey, listen, guys, I've got a plan to help us out here, to get us along the way. He comes and he says, thus saith the Lord. 
the Word of the Lord. The work of man does not produce revival. Only the Word does. We must revere the Word. However, if you don't revere the Lord who gives the Word, it doesn't matter what the Word says anyways. If you think little of God, you'll think little of His Word. If you have a, a small God that you think you worship or that you think is a big God, but He's really made small in your mind and your belief and your heart and the way you live your life, and the reason why is because you have a small view of Scripture. The smaller your view of the Bible, the smaller your view of God. The smaller your view of the Bible, the smaller your view of God, the smaller and more insignificant your worship will be. The smaller and more insignificant your work for God will be. As a matter of fact, it will be null and void. What you think about the Bible is what you think about God Himself. This is His Word. This is His name. This is His re revealing of Himself to us. So how you treat the Word of God, how you obey the Word of God, how you hear the Word of God, how you get into the Word of God or not, tells all that you need to know about what you think of God Himself. To revere the Word, to revere the Lord, it is ultimately to see that His glory is displayed in both. It is who He is. You want to know who God is? Get in the Word. Revere it. Learn it. Love it. Live it. But notice as well, verse number 2 begins with this wonderful phrase. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts. Not just thus says God. Not even just as the, the Lord God. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. This idea of God, He speaks conviction. God speaks correction. And He as well speaks comfort to His people time and time again. And that's what revival is all about. We want the comfort of revival. We want the change and the excitement that revival brings. But we don't want the conviction. We don't want the correction. We think the conviction and the correction is for the rest of the world or for everybody else in the church, for the other churches around us. And if they would just get their stuff straight, we might have revival in this place. I want you to know if we would get ourselves straight by the Word of God, then we would have revival in this place. Could you imagine if an individual or a husband got right with God? You know what would happen? There would be confession of sin. There would be freedom. There would be a, a leading of the Spirit of God in hearts and homes. That's revival, and that's how you know revival takes place. God here described as the Lord of hosts, revealing Himself here through Haggai as the Lord of hosts, shows that God is infinite and invincible in His power to rebuild and revive His people. Revival is the work of God, and there is no work of God that is too hard for God. There are many folks today who say, well, you know, revival can't come. Revival won't come. It's too dark of an hour. It's too late of an hour. The reason why we feel that way is because we think that we can drum it up ourselves, and we can't. When God breathes, when God moves, when the Spirit begins to blow, we must simply get along with what's going on with God. What He's doing. We better get on board by faith because to get on board with flesh, it'll lead us to nothing. It might give us some excitement for a week, but the last thing that we need is another let's get shaken up and spat right back out to nothing. I, I, we don't need another Sunday where we get excited about God or we get convicted about some sin. We might go to the altar. We might sit quietly in our pew during invitation time. We go, Lord, you know, I'm real sorry about that. I shouldn't be doing that, and I know that, so I'm going to give it to you. And then come Monday, we're back at it again. We, we leave on a spiritual high, and we live for spiritual highs, but a spiritual high will only do this. It will leave you high for a moment and come crashing down as soon as it's over. 
What we need is consistency. And the only way to find consistency in the Christian life is a revival of revering God Himself. Until we learn to revere God once more, we will never learn what it means to live a consistent, faithful Christian life. We will continue to seek the mountaintop experiences and the valleys will crush our spirits. They'll lead us to where we get crushed and we find ourselves sitting further and further back and then eventually we're outside of the church and then we, you know, we miss a week, we miss two weeks and then we come back and you know I just had some things going on and then eventually we're missing three and four and five and then now we're gone for a whole season before we come back again and folks this happens everywhere. And every person that it happens to, it's not because God has changed, it's not because God has moved, it's not because God has stopped caring about that soul, it is because they have stopped revering the Word of God, the worship of God, and the work of God. And we need to be reignited with the reverence of God once more. The Lord of hosts is seen 14 times in Haggai. You know how many chapters Haggai's got? You can probably see it right now. Two. 15 verses chapter 1, 23 in chapter 2. Together that makes... Hold on. 38 verses. 38 verses. 14 times the Lord of hosts. Why? Do you think God wants us to know something about Him? Do you think God wants His people to know that He is infinite and invincible in His power and His might and His desire to revive His people? We find Lord of hosts as well 53 times in Zechariah. He's got a couple more chapters though. God is revealing Himself to us this way for a reason. Because God's revealing of Himself is reviving. God's revealing does the reviving. When God reveals Himself, it will naturally revive the soul that accepts it, that applies it, that receives it, that responds by faith. And the reason why most of us go unresponsive to the Word of God or unrevived by the Word of God is not because the Word of God is not powerful as it once was. It is because you and I have not responded by faith. We believe that the change is for somebody else. The revival is for some other soul, some poor sinner who's much worse than I am, much less dignified and sanctified as I am. I just need these every now and again, some little slaps on the wrist by God, and then I'm on my way. What you and I need is an overhaul from the inside out. What you and I need is for God to get in by His Spirit, by His Word, by the power of His might, and to scrub us down from all the uncleanness in our life. Right now you say, well, I'm not living in some sort of filth. Well, to live in apathy in the sight of God is to live in filth. When we grow accustomed to God as if He's just a small portion of our life and He's not all of our life, that's how we know something's not right. It was God Himself, by the way, who had brought the exile on, but it was God who had now brought about the exodus to bring a remnant back. The Lord of hosts is strong and mighty to both judge and to save. He is the cause of revival. And if there will ever be a revival in America, if there will ever be a revival in Carroll County, if there will ever be a revival in Victory Way, if there will ever be a revival in your home, if there will ever be a revival in your heart, it is because God will do the reviving through the revealing of Himself. However, you won't experience the revival. You'll get nothing from it if you do not accept it by faith. You cling on to your flesh you just say, well, God, I just want to have some emotion again. 
What you need is not nearly just some emotions, some tingles on the back of your neck. You need to experience God once more. You need to know Him and the power of His might. We need the reverence of Almighty God. Rebuilding the temple and reviving the hearts of the people is too great for any man to do. For no one man can build the temple on his own and one man cannot revive hearts. Only God can do such an inner work. But is anything too hard for God? No. He's the Lord of hosts. God revealing is reviving. And here we look now into verse 2 and really the second portion, I guess, of it. It was what we find is, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts. Here's what he says. This people. This people say the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. There is now the complacency of the remnant. The complacency of the remnant. The remnant had been there. They had gotten started off so well. They started off like a shot. But they had become spiritually complacent. But spiritually complacent, uncaring, apathetic Christians don't start that way. It is a slow and dangerous fade. There are many in this church who are in such a state. We're able to put on masks. We're able to show up to services. We're able to go through the motions. You're even able to read your Bible and pray in such apathy. And I can tell you what you do. You make God sick to His stomach. What we need is to revive a reverence of Almighty God. Ezra chapter 3 shows us how they had started. I'm going to go over time tonight. Is that okay? If you have to leave, I understand that's fine. Ezra chapter 3 verse number 8 tells us this. Here's how they get their start. They didn't start complacent when they returned. Now in the second year of their coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, began Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua the son of Josedek, and the remnant of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all they that come out of the captivity unto Jerusalem, and appointed the Levites, those are the workers in the house of God, by the way, those are the priests, from 20 years old and upward, to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. That's good, isn't it? That's not complacent by any means. Then stood Jeshua with the sons of his brethren, Cadmiel and his sons, and the sons of Judah together to set forward and work in the house of God. The sons of Henadad with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, that's how they got started. They laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord. They set their priests and their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to do what? To praise the Lord. They got a good start. And after the ordinance of David, king of Israel, and they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks to the Lord because He is good, for His mercy endureth forever toward Israel. They had been in captivity. They had been in exile. And now they're back in their homeland. They have just seen there in Jerusalem the foundation of the temple, the cornerstone, if you will, laid once more. Do you think there's excitement? Do you think there's a revival? Do you think there's a good start? Of course there is. And what do they do? They praise God because He's good and He's merciful. They could be dead. They could be still in exile. There's not many of them left. 50,000 or less. Israel, at one point, might not have been the mightiest in number, but they were a people. A mighty people for God. And they had been exiled. I wonder if you've experienced the same. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord. Because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites, the chiefs of the fathers who were ancient men as old men, 
These are the men who had seen a thing or two. They had seen the first house when the foundation was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy so that people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the noise was heard afar off. Here in this joyous moment, in this wonderful moment, we've got older men who had seen the beauty and the glory of that first temple that had come along and they wept because they remember how it used to be. They remember the glory days. They remember what it was like to see God's presence abide upon one place and for God's people to meet with God there. But the younger ones, they get awful excited because they hadn't seen that before. All they've known their whole life is exile. Today, dear church, we've got some Christians today, all they've ever known in a church or in their Christian life is exile. They need to know that the God of yesteryear is the same God of today. The foundation is laid and the first steps of rebuilding take place. But then here's what happens in Ezra 4.4. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. Some opposition comes. Every time God is at work, you can best expect the devil will be too. Except the work of the devil will never compete with the work of God. But here's the issue. When you and I get more impressed by the work of the devil, we forget about the work of God. When you and I are more prone to listen to the lies of the devil or our flesh or the world, you and I forget all about what God is doing. And you and I can focus on one bad egg, one squeaky wheel, one person that's upset, one person that don't like it, one person says, well, it's not how it used to be. We can get all upset about, about one thing that's just not going quite right when God has all these other things going on. And we can either do one of two things. We can one, persevere, trust God, praise God, and continue on about the work of God. And, and, and the work of God is to praise God. And He'll take care of the rest, by the way. Or we can quit. What Brother Manny said the other week is that 40% of his people that once supported him have quit. He can't go no more. We've got churches all around us. They're having not prayer meetings, but they're having business meetings to determine if they're even going to keep the doors open next week. They're still fighting each other to find a pastor. They're still fighting one another to see who can be in charge next or not. And not one of them is fighting the devil to get the glory of God back in that place. You and I can fight one another or we can fight the real enemy. You and I, we can complain about what isn't here now but used to be or we can praise God for who He is now that He's still the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And that He's still desiring to revive His people. The land was desolate. Opposition comes. The work was hard. Soil was hard. The people were hostile around them. Rebuilding is hard. If it was easy, it would happen all the time. It's hard work to persevere for the Lord. You see, failing is not failure, but quitting is. And here's what happened to them. They build the foundation. They praise God. Opposition comes. And they fail by quitting. Christian life should not be quit. 
However, there are many who claim the Christian life and they've quit, and I can tell you how they quit. Haven't quit coming to church. Haven't quit singing. Haven't quit giving. But they've quit coming with a heart expecting from God. They've quit singing with a heart that wants to adore God. They've quit giving with a heart that wants to give God the glory and to give God what He has given to them. We find that in rebuilding, we find that in reviving, one battle is not the war, it's just one battle. The war is daily devotion to God. The war is a daily dedication to God. How do you respond to adversity? How have you responded to adversity? Here they responded in Haggai 1 with a complacent attitude. The Lord says, this is what you guys say. Here's what these people have said. They say, and here's what Judah had said for 14 years now without rebuilding another rock upon the temple. The time has not come that the time that the Lord's house should be built. 14 years and it's not time to build God's house? How long until it's time? Judgment ought to begin at the house of the Lord. How long? How long? How long will we allow our churches to be in ruin? How long will we be content with church services without the presence of God? How long will we be content with altars that don't know a tear stain? How long will we be comfortable with our families living separate lives, living under one roof, one serves God, one doesn't, they're both halfway in, halfway out, there's no leadership, no commitment, and our children are dying. How long? The complacent attitude says, well, it's, you know, it's just not God's time that the temple is built. 14 years, you don't think God wanted that thing built? You had started it, but it got hard and you quit. And I've heard this one before too. Well, you know, Pastor, if it's hard, then it must not be God's will. It must not be God's will for me to be a pastor. And it's been pretty hard. It's hard for everybody. Why? Because there is the world, the flesh, and the devil hounding you every single moment and every moment you live in the flesh and not in the Spirit, you will lose a battle and you're one step closer to losing a war. You know what I know is when it is hard, that's often when I know it's God's will. Because there's a fight. Here's what we find. This people used to be my people. God made a covenant with this people. He said, you're going to be my child, Israel. He even called them His bride in the Old Testament. He says, this people. God looks at them and says, not my people. This people. What an awful thing. They lived without God, without His glory in mind. They were not content with God. They were not settled with God. They were uncaring. They were unbelieving. Lastly, here's what we find. 
He mocks them and He says, you said the time has come. The time has not come that the Lord should be have His house built. It's just not time, Haggai. It's just not time, God. Verse number 3, Then came the word of the Lord, Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, that's all y'all, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? Sadly today, we don't even have our houses in order. We're not even as good a shape as they're in. We've got our houses that look nice on the outside. We've got Hobby Lobby decorations and crosses everywhere. We've got Scripture decorations. We've got everything that looks good on the outside. There's no, there's no growths. We've got new homes, new cars, new everything, and dead, apathetic hearts. We drive in our nice cars from our nice homes, get a nice meal on the way to a nice church building, and all the while we do so with a heart that doesn't even care if they meet with God or not. It doesn't care if our children know Christ. It doesn't care if our husbands lead the way spiritually. And we've settled for being bankrupt. We find God here corrects their reason. Their reason was, well, you know, it's just not time. 14 years, we just don't know when it's time to rebuild or not. He says, you had time to build your own house. This idea of a sealed house, you know what that means? It's not just finished, but it's furnished. It, it's, they had built it with the stones and then began overlaying it with wood. Meaning this, they made the house and slapped on some new siding. A fresh cone of paint outside and inside and, and a nice welcome mat on the front. And all the while, it's not time to build God's house. When we lose our why, as a people of God, we die. When we lose our why in our home as husbands, fathers, wives, mothers, we die. But it's not just us that die. It's our children and our grandchildren. It's our impact and the community of which the church was placed there for in the first place. It is noted, of course, one author points this out poignantly, Solomon first built a house for God and then for himself. Was Solomon a wise man? Oh yeah, as a matter of fact, he was called pretty, as a matter of fact, the most wise that there was. You know why he was the most wise? Because he built a house of God first and then his house. And there was nothing like the temple that Solomon had built. We often say things like, well, you know, it's time for my house. You know, I gotta take gotta take care of my house. What about meeting with God? You want to take care of your house? Get your family on their face before God. That'll take care of the house. The greatest decoration you can have in your home is to be adorned with the glory of God. It is to be covered in the Word of God. It is to be clothed in righteousness. O ye to dwell in your sealed houses, in this house lie waste. Their personal comfort mattered more than the praise continuing in the temple. Here's the thing. Our preference doesn't matter as much as His praise. Our comfort will never measure up to Christ. Our opinion does not overrule obedience. 
They completed and decorated their homes while the house of God was still in ruins. Hearts and homes and families destroyed today because Christ is not preeminent in all things. We barely make Him preeminent in the church, let alone our homes. The homes may be complete on the outside, but the hearts are complacent. Far from complete. You and I need a revival. We need a revival of the reverence of God in our hearts tonight, in our homes, in our church. You and I think revival today would look like a Pentecost in Carroll County. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Who wouldn't like that? The way God revives is heart by heart, home by home. God builds from the inside out, down to up, in to out, not the other way around. Verse 5. Verse 5 is where we're going to pick up Sunday morning. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Tonight, we need to consider our ways. Have we grown indifferent to the Word of God? Have we grown unconcerned with worship? Have we grown uncaring for the work of God, not just in our life, but through our life? Have we grown too comfortable with God? We need a revival of reverence. We need tonight to consider our ways. Tonight, and as we prepare for Sundays, we prepare for revival week to come, May we consider our ways. Where are you at? Where is your heart? Is it prepared for revival or is it just wanting some emotions? We need the reverence of God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this night. God, I pray that you would search our hearts. God, that you would find any unclean thing in our life tonight, and God, that before we put our head on our pillow tonight, we would confess it to You, and if need be, confess it to one that we've wronged, or one that we've been bitter to, one that we've hated, one that we've wronged. God, whatever it is, Lord, cleanse us from the inside out. God, I pray that tonight that we would consider our ways, that we truly consider that Your Spirit would search us out through Your Word. God, that we would see what our ways are really like. Who are we before You tonight? God, that we would see how we truly live, how we truly think, how we truly believe about You. God, that our ways would change to be Your ways. God, that our ways would be surrendered to Your ways. God, that our ways would fade. That Your way would be done. Your will would be done in our life. God, that You would rebuild and revive Your people. God, that You might give us a reverence for Your Word, for Your worship for your work tonight. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a blessed night. Hope to see you Sunday morning.